Hello and welcome to the strangest gig I've ever played. True tales from the studio and the stage. I'm your host, Chris J. Norwood. Each episode I'll have on a guest musician or artist, and we'll discuss all the strange, wild, wacky, terrible, and or amazing gigs we have to take in order to make it as freelance and gigging musicians. Because after all, a gig's a gig, right? So let's get started. Well, this is the pilot episode, the very first one. And I hope you'll come along for the ride and bear with me as I may tinker with the format and try different ways to record and edit and all those sorts of things, trying to fine tune the process. Like I said, usually I'll have a guest musician who will come on and hopefully amuse you with humorous anecdotes about their strangest gigs. I've got a lot of really great guests already lined up, jazz drummers to top 40 hip-hop sample producers to Americana stalwarts. So it'll be pretty eclectic, which should keep it interesting. Most of the guests will be good friends of mine that I've made along the way of playing my own strange gigs. But on this first episode, I wanted to take the time to introduce myself, for those of you who don't already know me, and tell you all where the idea behind this podcast came. I'll also tell you all some of my strangest gig stories. The idea of the podcast came to me, as so many great ideas do, late one night while I was lying in bed. I've been thinking back and reminiscing on my career as a musician and really just kind of taking stock of all the, the fun projects that I've been hashtag blessed to be a part of. My career is still hopefully getting off the ground, and I know I'm not touring the world, playing stadium shows to thousands of people. Not yet, anyways. But my career has certainly, if nothing else, been eclectic and interesting. And then I started to think about all the times I've been hanging out with other musician buddies of mine, and every time, inevitably, we always start telling gig stories, each one of us trying to outdo the other with the strangest one, because misery loves company, I guess. And the bad gigs are kind of like a badge of honor, part of the dues you pay. So I figured if we all enjoyed telling those stories and hearing them, then there might be other people out there who might be entertained by hearing them as well. And I know there are a million podcasts out there already, and the world probably doesn't need another one, but hey, I'm going to be having these conversations with my buddies anyway, so we might as well record them and let somebody else hear them. So I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll stick around and tune into all the other episodes, and, and we'll have a lot of fun, I think. So again, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris J. Norwood. I'm a musician in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My current gig, uh, like most freelance and gigging musicians, I've got a lot of current gigs. One of them is is I'm a uh, composer, associate creative director, studio manager for Breed Music. We write music for commercials, television, film, that sort of thing. I've been my day job for about uh, almost, almost 12 years this June. I'm also a solo artist performing under my own name. Uh, my wife, Carrie, usually sings with me. And then I'm also in a band called Texacana. Uh, Texacana started about a year and a half ago. And then I pick up other various uh, side gigs and uh, various freelance stuff along the way, whether that be composing or uh, as a sideman or a studio session man. Uh, so that's my, that's my current gig. That's what I do to, to make a living and pay the bills. I went to school at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. 
And I got my degree uh, as a Bachelor of Arts with a guitar performance degree. And what they don't tell you when you get a guitar a Bachelor of Arts degree in guitar is that you're not really qualified to do anything but uh, play music. <laughs> so uh, that's why I kind of have to take whatever gig I can get to be able to to, to pay the rent. You know, the bills come every month. You got to be able to pay them. Uh, I loved being at Hardin-Simmons. It was a great school. Uh, but I got out of Abilene as quickly as I could. Uh, my wife met, uh, my wife and I met at Hardin-Simmons, which is one of the reasons why I loved it so much. And then once I left Abilene, I came to Dallas and then I joined uh, in one of my strangest gigs, which I will probably talk about in a, a later episode. I joined a band called Vocal Trash. Now, Vocal Trash is kind of like Stomp, if you've ever heard of Stomp. So they play trash cans and water bottles. And then uh, there was also four and five part harmony. We did a lot of vocals, hence the Vocal Trash. Uh, and I I was in Vocal Trash for a couple years, two years, and toured all over. We played state fairs. We played corporate events uh, all over the country. And I did that, again, for two years. I was on the road for a very long time and got to play some really amazing places and some really boring places. And it was... Uh, so that was kind of the start of my strange journey as a freelance musician. And like I said, I will I'll, I'll get into more of those stories because there's a lot of them and it's a whole like two years of strangeness. Uh, I'll get into those in a later episode, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was, it was an, it was an amazing experience and uh, just in true Chris Norwood fashion, just the perfect way to start, to start my career. And then once my wife and I, when we were engaged and once we were getting married, I decided I needed to get off the road for just a little bit, just to at least start our marriage. And uh, that's when I'm, we moved to, to Dallas and I'd put out my resume just about anywhere in town having to do with music. Uh, just venues, theaters, studios, post-production companies, anything that had to do with music or mixing, I sent them a resume. And I finally got a callback from a man named Brian Flores and a company called The Listening Chair. And they were uh, looking, they were looking for a studio manager. And I had no idea what a studio manager did, and I had no idea what a commercial music production house did. But I went to the interview, and it went really well. They ended up giving me giving me the job, and I found out that they did the music for commercials. So any anytime you're watching a commercial, you'll usually on most commercials there's background music going on. Well, there's somebody that has to write that music, and that's one of the things that Listening Chair does. Eventually, Listening Chair merged with another company called Juniper um, and became Breed Music. Uh, one of my future guests, Nick Seeley, uh, I met at Breed. Actually, a lot of uh, my first guests uh, the next, on the next episode, Stockton Helbing, I met through uh, a gig at Breed. So, and I've, again, I've been with Breed for, for 12 years, started out as studio manager and then started composing and then kind of worked my way up and... Uh, to associate creative director. And, and so that's what I've been doing. That's been the other kind of strange eclectic part of my, of my career. That's breed allows me to do a bunch of different types of music every day. So one day I may be writing, you know, a hip hop track. The next day I might be doing an, an orchestral track. The day after that, some acoustic folky track, 
And so it's, it's never the same. It's almost always different and it's almost always interesting. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. So that's been kind of my career. And then again, along the way, I've taken on various kind of sideman projects. Um, I started performing solo, writing my own music. I uh, put out my, my first album. It's called long shot came out on state fair records, uh, in 2017. Uh, so I hope you'll check that out. If you go to ChrisJNoro.com, you can kind of see that. And then I've got a new album coming out called I Am Not Cool, and it will be out in August. Uh, and so if you're, if you're interested in that, I hope you'll check that out as well. And then about two years ago, uh, my good buddy Guillermo Murillo and Dev, Dev Wolf, uh, we, started, we, we tried to start this side project. It, it started out as a side project, just a couple guys getting together to write, and it turned into Texacana, which kind of snowballed and kind of became became a thing that we've been very proud of we've we won the kxt 10th anniversary contest and got to play on stage with grace potter and devin gofillian at the rustic for a couple thousand people which was amazing uh we put out an ep last may called no good reason and so i hope you'll check that out texaconaband.com uh we're starting to book some new shows all the time i hope you'll come see us and that's been kind of my current gig. That's where I'm at now. And it's been a, an interesting journey and given me a lot of really great stories. So like I said, I'll get into uh, a lot of my vocal trash strange gig stories in a later episode. But I wanted to tell you about two of the strangest gigs I've ever played. And the first one happened uh, about six years ago, maybe five, four or five years ago. I don't remember exactly, but it happened as, as most weird gigs do. I got a call Saturday afternoon from a buddy of mine and he said, Hey man, I, uh, I got us to do this gig. I don't know much about it, but, uh, it's, it's for tomorrow afternoon. I can't make it. If you're available and want to play it, uh, just let me know. And I said, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't have anything going on. Um, just send me the details. He said, okay, well this lady will be calling you with all the details. And she'll take it from there. I said, sounds great. So I, I gave uh, gave my buddy Rob uh, my contact info and he sent it to the lady. And I get a call later that afternoon uh, from a lady that says she is a showrunner for the kids in the hall or a producer or some sort of stage manager for kids in the hall. And she says, hey, Chris, uh, got, got your in contact info from Rob. I work for the kids in the hall. And if you're of a certain age from about... 36 to about 46 in that late millennial, early Gen X age, then the kids in the hall will be a very big deal to you. If you like sketch comedy and you're around my age, then you love kids in the hall. They were a sketch comedy show, five guys from Canada uh, in kind of the heyday of sketch comedy. So it was during the kids in the hall and you had SNL and you had living color and they were all just, just excellent shows. And they were just, must watch TV. So I get a call from this lady and she says, I work for the kids in the hall and they are uh, coming to town on a, on a tour. They have a show at the majestic theater tomorrow night. This would have been the next night, then Sunday night. And they were going to be doing their, uh, just their, their sketch comedy, stand up comedy thing. And she told me that Kevin McDonald, one of the main guys in one of the skits does this little song and he needs an acoustic guitar player to come and play this song. She said it's, you know, the pay is, I forget what it was, like 150 bucks, not a ton, but you know, for, 
you know, an hour's time and I get to meet kids in the hall and I get, and then she sweetened the deal by saying, oh, and we'll give you a signed poster and a free t-shirt. So how can I resist? Right? So she sends me a copy of the song, uh, no chord chart or anything, just the song. I figured out the chords and went down there the next day. The Majestic Theater is this beautiful like Art Deco theater in downtown Dallas. It's gorgeous, and it seats about 1,500 people. So it's pretty big. Certainly one of the biggest venues I'd played at up to that point. And so I get there, and then I, I find my contact lady, and uh, then she takes me to, to meet Kevin. So I meet Kevin. We're in the green room, and uh, you know he's obviously busy getting ready for the show. But we go over this song. Uh, he kind of... we practice it a few times. I kind of make some changement, make some adjustments, make some changes to the chords that, that we kind of go over. And I, I wrote it, I wrote the chords down on a little strip of paper because I just knew I was going to forget. And I did not want that to happen. I did not want to completely bomb uh, because, you know, you just don't want to do that. I wrote the chords down and taped it to the top of my acoustic guitar so that I would at least have them and I would not mess this up. And then, so, you know, we rehearsed the song and then it's about an hour till showtime. And then I'm just kind of wandering around backstage and then it's showtime. And Kevin McDonald, this song was the second, second skit of the night. So I'm waiting inside stage, waiting to go on. And then the very first, very first skit is a bit that they called men in wedding dresses. So I'm standing side stage and I look and I'm looking out at the stage and it's the guys, it's it's Kevin McDonald and it's Dave Foley and, and it's all of them. And they're there all in enormous white wedding dresses. And it was just one of those kind of weird moments where I'm looking around going, how, how did I get here? What confluence of events brought me to this place? You don't go to school to learn how to do this. And it was a very bizarre very bizarre scenario. So they did their wedding dress bit. And then now it's my turn. I walk out on stage and I'm wearing just your typical kind of concert black, black dress pants, black button up shirt. I think Kevin McDonald's wearing like jeans and a t-shirt, you know, he didn't, he certainly didn't dress up for this bit. It was just kind of a thing. And in, you know, in between, as I'm going out, he's scurrying off stage and frantically trying to take off his white wedding dress so he can get out for our bit. So we go out there and I'm standing there and I'm waiting for him to come out. The lights come on. He walks out. He kind of does his little song. He's playing with the audience. He's playing with me, pointing at me and kind of making fun of me during the whole thing, during this weird song. And we did it. We, we played the song lights out and then I'm off the stage and that was it. He said, Hey Chris, thanks so much. Uh, it was great. And that was it. The lady gave me my free t-shirt, my free signed poster, and I was I was done. The gig was over and I left. And I wore that t-shirt uh, at least once a week for the next two years until it had holes in it. My next one is is was certainly strange, but you know, a lot of these gigs I say strange, it's a lot of them are just kind of you're not really sure how you got them. They're, they're amazing gigs, but just the kind of connections that you have to have to get them. It's just kind of right place, right time, once in a lifetime opportunity kind of thing. And this was certainly one of those. This one happened about two years ago. It was right before my son Towns was born. My, uh, my wife was probably 
seven, six, seven months pregnant. And I get a call from my friend Damani, who works at the bomb factory here and who worked at the bomb factory here in Dallas at the time. And uh, they were helping produce the show for the Dallas Symphony Orchestra called Saluna. And it's this enormous citywide multi-collaborative event at venues all across the city featuring the DSO and other just other great musicians, other, I mean, there's, you know, ballet companies that are involved. There's uh, dance troops that are involved. They, uh, you know, the Mavs drumline was involved for a lot of it. So he calls me and says, Hey, I've got this, we're doing this show for Saluna and it's this multi-collaborative thing. One of the things is uh, the rapper Nas is coming and going to, going to perform a couple songs with the with members of the DSO. And he says, uh so we need somebody to to take Nas's songs and orchestrate them for for a small uh orchestral ensemble. He said, "Can you do this?" And I said, "Yeah, of, of course, I do this all the time for work. I, I can certainly do it. Um Yeah, just let me know the details." The the show was May 12th. Now, my son's due date was April 30th. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got plenty of time to do this. If they get me the tracks, I can get it orchestrated. And I don't necessarily have to be at the show because I'm just the orchestrator. They'll have, I'm assume, I assumed that the DSO would be able to provide their own conductor. So I was like, I'm just going to be the orchestrator. I'll get it done. Plenty of time. And then I'll just enjoy the, enjoy the show. Maybe somebody will be taking video. And I said, yeah, I can, I can definitely do this. He said, Chris, I need you to be straight with me. Can you really do this? This is a big budget thing. I need to know that you can pull this off. I said, Damani, don't worry. I know I can handle this. And if I can't, I know people that can handle it. And uh, the nice thing about that conversation was it kind of clued me into the size of the budget that they were working with, with working with. So I knew I, I, I could be able to charge quite a bit and bring in other people if I needed to. So the weeks kind of go by and I keep kind of hitting Damani up and I'm like, Hey man, I need to know which charts, which songs Nas wants to do. Cause I need to, I need to kind of get started. You know, that's shows kind of coming up. There's not a lot of time I need to get going. And so it kind of goes back and forth, uh, between Damani and the producer of the show. And then Nas's, uh, Nas's music director is MD, his DJ. And then me, we're kind of all emailing back and forth and it takes forever for them to kind of finally figure out. So they, but they finally, they finally settle on a group of songs. Well, now it's like the beginning of April and it's maybe three, three weeks until the show day. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't have time to do this. I, I just don't. I've, I've got a kid that's going to be born here in a matter of weeks. I, I just don't have time. So I called my friend, Nick, who I spoke about earlier, Nick and I used to work at breed music. And I called one of our other former coworkers, uh, Jason Zaffrey. And I explained to them, Hey guys, this is what's going on. Can y'all help me? And Nick and Zaff are both, you know, like I said, Nick is a hip hop producer in LA. And Zach is also in LA. Zaff is also in LA. And these guys are the guys that can do this. I know they can. And the nice thing was, is that Nas had a couple of the songs that he had picked that they, had, his team had picked were songs that he had already done with the national symphony orchestra in DC. They did a giant show. I think it was like for Illmatic's 20th anniversary or something like that, where they performed the whole album with an orchestra so we already had charts for a couple of the tracks, which was great. All we had to do was kind of scale it down. The, the, uh, the national symphony thing was, you know, the full 60 piece orchestra and the DSO is only going to be, I think eight, eight, eight or 10. I don't remember exactly how many. 
So we just had to take those and kind of orchestrate them for a couple smaller, for a smaller ensemble. We didn't have to write new charts from, tr from scratch, new orchestrations from scratch. So that helps out. But it keeps getting closer to the deadline, and my wife uh, eventually goes into labor, and we head to the hospital to have have the baby. So my wife has the baby, beautiful baby boy, and then we're there in the hospital for the next couple of days, and I'm having to like proof proof charts uh, that my buddies Nick and Zaffer sent in to me in the hospital, sitting in the hospital bed on my laptop, listening to these orchestrations, proofing them, sending them to Nas's team, making sure they're cool with them. I get them to sign off and everybody's cool. And my son is born and we go home and I'm thinking, great. My hands are, you know, I, I wash my hands of it. I'm, I'm done. I did my part. We did these chart, these, these orchestrations. They're excellent. Nas's team loves them and we're ready to go. And I told Carrie, my wife that, Hey, I probably need to go to this first rehearsal just to, just to be there in case there are any questions. There shouldn't be, I'm expecting to show up and just kind of introduce myself and be a fly on the wall, really. And like I said, to answer any questions they might have about the scores. So I show up again, you know, my son is only four days old at this point. I show up and the re rehearsals are at the bomb factory because the show is going to be at the bomb factory. And I get there and I, you know, introduce myself to the, uh, Nas's MD, his DJ, and I introduced myself to the DSO members. I'm like, hey, I'm the orchestrator. Uh, y'all let me know if y'all need anything. You know, y'all go ahead. And so they get started to rehearse. And then the DSO members are there. Nas's DJ. And Nas always tours with the drummer. His drummer's there. They're there. The charts get passed out. And then everybody kind of looks to me to start everything off. And at this point, I'm like, oh, no they don't have a conductor. So I guess I'm going to be the conductor because everyone's staring at me. Like I'm the one who's having to kick this off. And it was a completely terrifying OS moment. Like, like, what am I going to do? Like, I got to go to school to, for conducting. I kind of know how to do it just from being a musician, but am I going to be able to do this? Uh, but they're looking at me like I've got to. So I step up to the podium and I, pull out the score and I say, okay, here we go. And I end up being the conductor for these Dallas Symphony Orchestra musicians. These are world-class professional musicians and they don't, they certainly don't want me conducting them. And I look like hell. I'm on no sleep. I'm just kind of barely getting by as is. And the, the rehearsals went great, uh, you know, because like I said, they're world-class musicians. They really don't even need me to be there. I'm just kind of flapping my arms, looking a fool. But we did have to make a few, you know, small adjustments to the music because, you know, Nas performs a couple of these songs differently live than, they, than he does on the, on the album versions. So I was able to make a few changes and kind of add a few parts where I needed to, cut out other parts where I didn't, that I didn't need. And then uh, comes time for the show and I show up and, and this whole time, not like I haven't seen or met Nas once. He didn't come to any of the rehearsals, which is pretty typical for a guy like that. And when you get to, you know, Nas's caliber, he'd been, he's been doing it a long time. He doesn't need to show up. He, he's one of those guys. He gets to do what he wants to do. And if he doesn't want to show up to the rehearsal, he doesn't have to, but that's perfectly fine. So we get to the show and uh, it goes off great. You know, I, I wore a suit. I decided to wear a suit and look fancy because I knew the orchestra members were going to be in concert black. And I figured, hey, 
I'm going to be the conductor. I might as well, might as well look the part. So I wore my suit, my black suit and looked very nice. And we went out there and performed the songs and the night was amazing. It was, it was kind of a dream. The, the bomb factory was packed. The crowd was amazing. Nas was obviously brilliant. And the DSO members were fantastic, perfect, and just great to work with, super nice. And it just, it couldn't have gone any better. I, uh, I feel very fortunate to have been able to, to have done that gig. And like I said, it was only a gig that, that would have happened in my wild career, my wild ride of a career. So those, those are my strange, those are the strangest gigs that I have ever played. So one of the questions I'm going to be asking each of my guests is what is their dream gig? Money were no object. If you could go out and just get whatever gig you wanted, what's, what's your dream gig? Cause I think you can tell a lot about a person by the way they answer that question. And uh, one of my, I have, a, I have a couple, but one of my dream gigs is, has always been to be a member of the Dap Kings. And if you don't know who the Dap Kings are, they're a really great uh, soul band out of Brooklyn. And uh, they were the band for Sharon Jones, the late great Sharon Jones. And they were also the backing band for uh, those that really great Amy Winehouse record. I I love soul music, uh, just so much. That's it's the music that I put on in the house on a Saturday afternoon when we're just hanging hanging around. And I've just always wanted to be in a really great soul band. Otis Redding is one of my absolute favorite singers. Uh, so kind of in that same vein, another band that I've always wanted to be in is uh, Booker T and the MGs. Just being a part of that. Uh, that Memphis soul thing just would have been a dream come true for me. And then kind of on the flip side of that, uh, a couple of my, my dream gigs would be to be a member of the Saturday night, Saturday night live band, just to be able to play with those world-class musicians. You get to play, you know, kind of different music each week. Uh, it, it always been, would have been seemed like a lot of fun. And uh, kind of in that same vein, another kind of dream gig of mine was to be a member of uh, the guys all-star shoe band, which was the house band for uh, a Prairie home companion. It just seems like being able to play one of those bands or, or like a, a pit band on Broadway. Um, just the variety that you'd get to play uh, night in, night out, just and the off the cuff nature, you know, you're, you really got to be locked in with what's going on. And just the challenging aspect of that seems, seems really interesting and a lot of fun for me. So yeah, those are, those are some of my dream gigs. And I, and I mean, I'm really looking forward to hearing, what some of the uh, what some of the other dream gigs that some of my guests have. All right, that's the pilot episode, episode number one of the strangest gig I've ever played: true tales from the studio and the stage. Again, I'm your host Chris J Norwood, and if you want more information about uh, what I've got going on about my music, you can go to chrisjnorwood.com. I'll have uh, shows there, and again, I've got a new album coming out soon, and I'd really love for y'all to check that out. If you loved what you heard today and it was intriguing and hopefully entertaining for you and it made you excited for future episodes, then there's something you could do that would really help me out. And that's you could tell a friend. Just help me get the word out, uh, get other people excited about the podcast. Like I said, we've got some really great guests lined up and I think it's going to be a, lot, a whole lot of fun. And uh, like the great Joe Pug says in his podcast, The Working Songwriter, getting the word out, telling a friend will be so much more beneficial for me than it will be a pain in the ass for you. 
And if you're a musician yourself and you have your own strange gig that you'd like to share, shoot me an email at chris at chrisjnorwood.com and maybe we'll get you on the show and you can tell your story. I'd love to hear it. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll tune in next time where uh, my guest will be Stockton Helping. It'll be a whole lot of fun. And until then, enjoy whatever gig you're on. Because after all, a gig's a gig, right? <laughs>